0: The Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference presents Lessons in Leadership, Acquisition and Supply Chain, a professional development seminar. Featuring CEO of George Consulting Group, retired Major General Cedric George, Director Operations and Readiness G3 for US Army Materiel Command Kevin Bostick, Assistant Commandant for Acquisition and Chief Acquisition Officer for the U.S. Coast Guard, Michael Johnston, and Director of Logistics and Installations for the U.S. National Guard Bureau, Brigadier General Russell Ponder. Acquisition, logisticians, supply chain experts, and senior civilians will discuss the top issues facing 21st century war fighting and the defense of our nation. Without further ado, the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference presents Lessons in Leadership, Acquisition and Supply Chain featuring retired Major General Cedric George, Kevin Bostick, Michael Johnston, and Brigadier General Russell Ponder.
1: Hi, welcome everyone. If you can go ahead and get seated. First, I just want to thank everyone for attending. We'll be having more people coming in, but as I'm saying this, those that are in the back, if you can go ahead and move forward, Um, so that way we can have a more intimate discussion in regards to this panel. Uh, We will be discussing lessons in leadership, acquisition, logistics, and supply chain. Um, My name is Sonia Kumar. I am representing the Stars and Stripe Committee, and we thank you all for coming and uh, participating in the Baya 2020 conference. I I am going to introduce uh, to you the moderator, uh, Major Major General Cedric George, and he will go ahead and introduce the rest of his panel and who he is, all right,
2: thank you. Thank you very much, Sonia. Can you guys hear hear me? All right, good morning, how you doing? Good morning. I am a huge supporter of BEA. Uh, They have supported me, and I've been a huge supporter for years. Uh, I just retired from the United States Air Force. Uh, This is my first official event Uh, on the other side, Life 2.0. It feels good. Uh, I served in our Air Force for 32 years, leading large, complex defense organizations. So it's neat, very neat to be on this side with my panel here. Uh, You are at the Acquisition Logistics panel. We subtitled this panel. Uh, posturing for winning future wars, right? Posturing to compete and win in future wars. And so I'm really thrilled to share the panel with three of my distinguished colleagues. Let me introduce them so you can welcome them. I have to my right, uh, Mr. Kevin Bostic. He is a fantastic guy. (laughs) Uh, He is the Director of Operations and Readiness for the Army G3, and we're glad to have him. Uh, I also have a good friend of mine, Russ Ponder. I see in that big blue uniform. General Russ Ponder is the uh, Director of Logistics and Installations for the National Guard Bureau. And Russ, we're glad to have you. Thank you. We have Rear Admiral Michael Johnston, who is the Assistant Commandant of Acquisition and our Chief Acquisitions Officer for the United States Coast Guard. So we're glad to have uh, these distinguished panelists. Uh, So, ladies and gentlemen, the National Defense Strategy makes a, if you if you look through the 2018 National Defense Strategy, it makes a thesis and it says simply this, if we are going to compete and win future wars against a peer or near-peer competitor, and I recognize we have some students, so I'm going to slow down on some of these things so that we don't, if we're going to win the sustainment war, then we are going to have to fully transform sustainment. So let me pause because we do have students in the, cl- in the uh, panel here and in the room today. So what is sustainment and how does that relate to acquisition and logistics, right? So let me give you, I offer this definition before we start to hear from the panel. Sustainment, in my view, in its simplest terms is what the customer needs. You don't want to get into starting a fight if you can't sustain the fight. In other words, what are the customer's ongoing needs? To me, that's sustainment. Logistics then is what we bring to meet those needs. And that's how I distinguish, because you'll hear those used interchangeably, logistics and sustainment. And so if that's true, panel, let me open up and ask you this. Then what are some of the challenges? I'll start with you, Mr. Bostic. What are some of the challenges you see out there with sustainment in terms of the current fight and then future fight? Thanks.
3: So uh, again, Kevin Bostic, Army Material Command headquarters down in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, As you mentioned, part of the G3, uh, the operations and readiness director. Uh, So when you talk uh, sustainment and logistics, I will tell you that from uh, the present footprint that I work in every single day is to do just that, sustain the force, uh, wherever they may be around the world, Uh, And the logistics that we provide them are all the different classes of supply that uh, enable that force to be ready, conduct the nation's business, and be able to win the nation's wars on the battlefield if need be. Uh, And the way we do that and the the challenges associated with that, sometimes you have what we call the tyranny of distance. You know, if we're doing things around the world, how do we get them there? How do we continue that flow so that the troops at the forward tip of the spear never run out of what they need? Uh, And then to be able to ensure that at any given point, when there's a change in mission, that we can redirect that support that we're providing to the folks on the ground to go and to coincide with the change of mission, uh, and and you know, and that's just one of those opening salvos that I would like to present based upon what you asked, sir. And we'll continue that thread as we move
2: forward. Fantastic. And so, Russ, before you reply, let me let me then build on what Mr. Bosick just said. The tyranny of distance. If we're going to fight, let's just call it out: no elephant in the room. If we're going to do a fight against a Russia or a China, uh, it's an away game maybe a home game as well. So can you then continue to build on that to go? What are the challenges of fighting a peer and near peer Russia, China? uh, And how does that differ from uh, decades of fighting in Southwest Asia, where we were doing uh, violent extreme organizations? And what's different? And what's what's the challenge as you move a National Guard Bureau into the total fight to provide and sustain that force? Thanks. Uh, yes, thanks. You know, when you talk about
4: sustainment, you mentioned, sir, it's, it's what the, uh, uh, you know, the customer needs. And one of the things that we haven't done a real good job with in the military is, is keeping up with the, the private sector, the commercial airlines. And, and you know, they have technology that the plane actually talks to the ground, provides, uh, you know, issues that are, occur- or that are coming up within the, the mechanics uh in the electrical system of the the avionics of the plane while they're flying. And when they land, they take that information, and sometimes they can even have the part ready with the uh, maintenance personnel ready to change that part as soon as it hits the ground. And they have, you know, maybe not even any delay in getting the the part changed out and the next flight taking place. We don't have that capability on all our aircraft, Uh, and we should. And we're in the process of doing that, and we've picked out certain uh, weapon systems that we're starting with. But keeping up with that technology enables us to to be sure that when we are uh, moving across the world, or the globe, to other places, that we the plane, when it lands, we already have possibly uh, equipment and personnel knowing what needs to be changed and adjusted on that plane, so we can always be, as the General said, at the tip of the spear, because we want to be able to, to be have our capability ready and, um, and able to execute uh, when it's required.
2: Thanks so much. Admiral Johnson. your thoughts, sir, on, on the challenges of the current fight as the Coast Guard moves to uh, protect the nation, protect the homeland, uh, and you're serving abroad as well.
5: Yeah, I will offer this. That uh, comes down to, 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 to people and parts. And I don't know about you, but in my house, Back in the day, I used to have a phone on the wall and and, uh, a little cord (laughs) attached to it. Used to have a cord attached to it, and and I don't know that I've ever changed anything. And now I look at my phone and every morning there's an update. Um, The ability to manage that rate of change with the right parts and the right people is an incredible challenge, especially in acquisitions uh, and, and in sustainment. And so we have to think about that at the very beginning. We need engineers there to at the very beginning architect in a way that we can that we can that that we can facilitate that change and we have these new tools coming online like artificial intelligence and they can plan out and think in advance and really uh predict when you're going to have a failure when you're going to need a part and, and and position it in in that place our goal in the coast guard at least is within the next five years to have artificial intelligence driving how we uh, lay out our logistics for all of our parts and systems.
2: Okay, fantastic. Let's let's stay right there then, because the rightful integration of technology is your uh, supposition will help us accelerate the transformation. Let me uh, ask the panel then, how are you inserting best-of-breed industry uh, and perhaps uh, academia into your acceleration of your transformation of your various uh, services and entities? How are you doing that?
3: I would uh, say the way the way that we're doing it across the army is to one, we're we're partnering with industry every single day, uh, and just truth be told, uh, I don't think any of us can do uh, what we do for our service without the industry, you know, partnership, whether it be called a public-private partnership, whether it be some direct contracting venues that, uh, because we know that one company is the only company that makes this certain, I'll call it a widget, that we need to have in order to make that tank, Bradley, you know, uh, tactical vehicle work better or work uh, autonomously and perform to the capability that we needed to perform on the battlefield. Uh, But without industry, and then also you mentioned academia. You know those uh, sessions that we actually uh, senior leaders go to the universities around the United States, et cetera, and talk to uh, the professors in the engineering departments and talk to the professors in the science and technology fields to bring some of those best practices. And so we can talk about additive manufacturing, mm-hmm. and start working that into how we're doing our business and preparing you know, for the future endeavors
2: that we may be asked to embark upon. Okay, fantastic. Russ, uh, General Ponder, anything?
4: <clears throat> uh, yes, sir. You know, uh, the uh, Department of Defense has a, an, an agency. It's called the Defense Innovation Agency, and it's uh, the DAI. I mean, DIA is what we call it, and it's out at Moffitt Air Force Base, right in the heart of where the high-tech companies are, the Googles and the Apples. Uh, and, <clears throat> And one of the things I was out there about two months ago talking to them, and one of the things that they're working for us is they're looking at what's available with the, with the uh, commercial industry that's already on the shelf. And uh, the Marines and the Navy are working real close. In fact, the Marine I mean the Navy found a, uh, about a month ago they had a whole warehouse with uh, F-14 uh, parts, where they Tomcat? Well, the F-14's been retired for nearly 10 years, and they had a whole warehouse with parts. They didn't even, weren't even keeping up with those and didn't have, weren't tracking those. With a new system that they're looking at right now, and they're actually, they're doing a study, I think in Virginia Beach with the Navy, that they have a, a robotic machine that goes around and does a complete inventory uh, every night. So it runs around, it goes up, it looks at, it takes a picture of every of the packages and all the thing, and all the barcodes. And when they come in in the morning, they know exactly what they have in that warehouse. And so it's that type of technology that already exists. I mean, you think in Amazon. I mean, last week, you know, we were getting up and it was Saturday morning and and Barbara, my wife, she decided she wanted a little new little lamp for her, you know, for she's beginning to do knitting and she ordered it. And by six o'clock, I was putting that thing together because (laughs) it delivered it right to my house. And that's amazing. I mean, just think about that. So we need to, as a defense, uh, we need to gather that, some of that technology and that that hand, you know what what they're doing today, and apply that to areas that we could be a, a more uh, stronger defense uh, military.
2: So I'm gonna I'm gonna before Admiral Johnson you come in, I I want to make sure I elephant walk that phrase transform sustainment. So if we're gonna get to General Ponder, what you are laying out in terms of a Amazon like sustainment culture, I would suggest to you it's not an incremental. Change. It is a fully transform. I'm not suggesting, by the way, I have no stock in Amazon or anything, so I don't want to just, keep, well, we're, if we're streaming live, this is Kevin Bostic talking right now. <laughs> so I would simply suggest to you we have to fully transform, not only sustain, but we have to transform, Admiral Johnson, I'd be interested in your thoughts, acquisition. We simply cannot allow ourselves to need a cutter and take 20 years to get a cutter into the fleet. So your thoughts about transformation if you would share with us what's happening and how are you doing the nexus between uh, industry academia to try to accelerate that transformation not incremental change your yeah, thoughts
5: it's, sir? A, it's a it's a great point and a, and, a, and a huge challenge let me let me offer this that 15 years ago you know the majority of you know innovation and investment in r and d all the defense department sort of industrial base I will tell you now that uh, Apple, if they brought all their cash home, could buy every single one of those companies and have money left over. Uh, the commercial world is doing innovation, uh, R&D, and really uh, our goal is to, as as uh, as Russ was talking about, to integrate with. They're they're solving the problems that we have, um, and so uh, leveraging them uh, to to get those answers early and often is how we're transforming sort of our logistics system. We we've been doing what we call industry studies whenever we want to do anything, and that is. Uh, we encourage industry to help us find the fastest, best way to solve the problem by paying them in advance. Hey, here's what we're thinking about. Here's the problem. Rather than giving them a solution, right. here's the problem. Tell us the best way, and then it's sort of a competition. Everybody gives us their feedback, and then and then we move forward with how we're going to acquire that acquire that asset or that or that uh, problem solving. So, um, leveraging those incredible minds out there um, is 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 very important. Our problem is that we're competing with them for people while at the same time we're trying to take advantage of them for all the stuff that they're, they're doing and so that is the delicate balance uh that we are working through every day we're thinking about creative ways to move people back and forth from industry back into government and uh and uh, there's incredible value there and uh, we have a couple of tools that we have on the table that we're trying out but those things are only expanding
2: all right great great comments uh, by the panel let me uh offer to you that there's been a statement dusting around inside the Pentagon that says and inside Homeland Security it says we're experiencing a once in a generation opportunity in the space of sustainment. In other words, uh, the focus on sustainment at the highest levels, presidential all the way down, has us in a space that if we waste this opportunity to fully transform acquisition and sustainment, it may not come back again. And so I wonder what your thoughts are? Do you agree with that uh, that statement? Are you feeling that within your agencies that you have the funding, you have the backing to do the very things we're describing about? Let me uh, go back to you, uh, Admiral Johnson, to start with you, and then I'm gonna come back towards me.
5: Absolutely, I think uh, we're at the, the cusp of some transformative technologies, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, you know, big data. All those things are really how the uh, people are mastering logistics, um, and we are in the middle of uh, partnering with, with the Navy on a, on a transformation of our entire logistics system. And, and how they started that was with this thing called uh, Other transactional Authorities. Mm-hmm. And so basically they went out to industry and, and, and said, I'm going to give you all this data, show me what you can do with it. And, uh, and people came back with incredible amounts mm-hmm. of uh, uh, methodologies for getting better, faster, uh, quicker, and cheaper. Uh, at logistics and uh and, and then they they began to pick some winners and we we partnered right up with them we're moving out together to really transform we have buy-in uh, all the way up to the commandant and, and the secretary so
2: yeah fantastic thanks uh, general potter yeah I actually just goes I'll just piggyback
4: on on, on both uh both that and what uh, mr Fosak said earlier is that we got a partnership and, and does that mean uh, giving them the information and letting them come back to us or does that mean actually partnering with them and letting and using some of their they are actually, uh, uh, what they do, their capability. Uh, do, we, do we look to, to UPS or FedEx? We do that sometimes now, uh, or Amazon, on how they deliver. And do we start tapping into actually letting them deliver some of the stuff for us? And I know there's a lot of questions that come up with that, with, with cybersecurity and things like that. Uh, but it's something that we, as a, as a department, uh, has never, we've really never looked at that. We've always kind of wanted to do everything on our own, get the best ideas. But this this partnership that you talked about, sir, uh, with the community, with some private sector, it's, it's something that we are really gonna have to uh, uh, to, to examine. and, and to, Because I, for me, it, I can't keep up with training uh, maintenance uh, individuals and and, and, and logistics and engineers and all of a sudden, after they're good and trained, then they go across the, the street uh, to a private sector and they use those, those, those techniques and things that they've learned that we've paid for and somebody else has used them. Because we, we're not open enough to, to trade them with industry, uh, that, per, that uh, knowledge, uh, to, to work out some kind of deal. So that, that's a big challenge for us. And I do sir, sure agree. If we don't do something quick, that, that window of opportunity is going to be shut and it's going to be another different challenge that we have.
2: Thanks, Uh, Mr. Boss. before we we come to you, I want to build on the two comments and and suggest that we are going to need not only to leverage industry, but we're going to need industry to push further into the fight. And so as you talk about supporting a brigade combat team or uh, a ranger battalion forward or something, help help the audience understand what that looks like today. Uh, Everybody is talking light, lean, lethal. What does that mean and what does industry have to do as you try to get so far forward with a smaller force element and that force element is agile, it's bouncing across the globe, what do you have to do and what does cooperation within the industry and academia look like? Over.
3: And uh, what, where I go with that piece is first, the first part of the question, what we've done across the Army, uh, I think you may have heard, we've, we stood up Army Futures Command. Uh, about a year ago now. Standing that up, the reason behind it was, uh, just as General George said, sometimes, and and Admiral mentioned too, we as a Department of Defense Industry, uh, you know, and in the service, it took us years, 20 years sometimes, to field something to the forces uh, that we need right now. Uh, Some of that was you know, by design, some of that was, you know, first unit equipped or we'll give something to certain units and then take uh, a long time to build it to the rest of them. Uh, but then that's what we created was the have and the have-nots, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, or somebody was modern and somebody had equipment pretty much that was almost on the verge of being obsolete, as you talked about the, the, the wall lockers full of F-14 parts, etc. And we've been out of the inventory for 10 years. Uh, So we've stood up Army Futures Command. They're working hand in hand with uh, ASALT, the Army System uh, Acquisition Logistics and Technology. They are not joined together at the hip as far as one working for the other, but they're joined together at the hip so that when we do the production and acquisition of a piece of equipment that we're going to field to the force. Instead of taking 25 years, the goal is to have it fully equipped across the formation in seven years. Mm-hmm. If you think about that, that's a big paradigm shift from the way we've done stuff in the, in the past. And to the second piece of that with General uh, George's point on the battlefield, you know, we are in constant movement, constant contact. Uh, now, in what happens today, You know, and hopefully, you know, we won't have another conflict uh, anytime soon. But what we've been doing in the, you know, Southwest Asia scenario, as we talk about a coin fight, you know, counterinsurgency operations, it wasn't full spectrum. We did have a lot of tanks and Bradleys and heavy equipment on the battlefield maneuvering through uh, that footprint every single day. But in the future, when we look at the national defense strategy and have to look at those peers, you know China, Russia, et cetera, uh, that heavy footprint will will probably become a reality. In order to be able to do that, we have to be, you know, more more ready, more competitive, you know, better equipment, and better be able to sustain that equipment. Because none of those organizations that we talk about, the Brigade Combat Team, the Ranger Battalions, or whatever, they're not sitting still. So, when they hit the ground in, in, in Box A, you know, two days later they may be in Box B, and two days later in Box C, and what that means for folks like myself, we have to think forward, understand the plan, and be able to project forward so that they never do without because they are the tip of the spear and what they can carry with them as we like to say in their rucksack or in those two or three small videos they have that's all they have until they get a resupply and that means we have to be time on target with getting them what they need where they need it when they need it and think about it being forward thinking so hey we know they're going to do this in the next four days let me get something out there now, and that means logistics may be in front of the combat formations, sitting waiting for the combat formation to get there, et cetera. The last point I'll make is, you know, doing the, looking at Amazons and the distribution companies that, and you know, a lot of times we say, hey, can the services do that? Uh, we're, do, we're utilizing a lot of that, ma'am, uh, whether it be delivering to the different installations, delivering forward locations on the battlefield. Some of the 1-8 the that we're running into right now, today, is some of those entities will only go so far forward on the battlefield, okay? Uh, and if you think about it, they're not uniform members who are driving those trucks for them, et cetera. They're contracted workforce that work for Amazon in support of the armed forces, et cetera. But, you know, so we have to work out uh, continue to work out, okay. I may be able to get you 75% of the way of what you need, but then Army, Navy, Air Force, whatever, you're going to have to pick up from that point and get it into the hands of a warfighter on the ground where they actually needed to conduct the nation's business. So, fantastic. Uh, uh,
2: let me say a couple of things real quick. Uh, we're going to open up for questions, so uh, we will ask you to use the microphone uh, as you. Come up, please, because we are recording that we want to make sure we capture all of these questions and also that we can hear you. So the other thing I would offer from your shares is When Secretary Mattis introduced the National Defense strategy in 2018, he said we've never gone to a fight without our other countries' militaries and our allies at our side. And so what I ask um, you as a panel to, to, to talk to is in this transformation, are you taking advantage of me? Mr. Boston, you reminded me of this. Are we taking advantage of, I don't have to own it to benefit from it, right? I may mean, not have to drive that over there because somebody already has it, right? So are you integrating interoperability, using our allies into your transformation strategy? Let me start with you, Russ, and then we'll
4: <clears throat> uh, Yes, we are, you know, if you've, I know you've heard of the uh, F-35, uh, the new aircraft that we have. We've partnered, uh, I think it's up to eight now, uh, uh, different countries. Uh, with the design and, and actually, uh, um, uh, you know, create the, the companies are all over the world. Uh, assemblies that we have a different, well, we're assembling, I think, in uh, Japan and Italy and, and here in the United States, we assemble them now. Uh, and it's a, it's a great partnership. And uh, it's a little challenging because, you know, when you have all the different countries and you're trying to Get their uh, Their capabilities that they want, kind of. It's it's it's, but it's been a little bit of a challenge on that. But it, it's it is the way that it, of the future that when we go to fight uh, the enemy with our allies, that we have aircraft and equipment that are you know that we are, we're cu- accustomed to, and then our maintenance guys can can work on their aircraft and vice versa. And the parts availability, uh, we be uh, will be there. Uh, and I think the other thing that we're working with them along with uh, the private sector is. Uh, Mr. Botzik uh, mentioned it was what we call the the hub and, and spoken hub process. Right now, the Air Force is looking, uh, already in the process of, of actually uh, beginning to build some teams with uh, multiple capabilities uh, of the team. So, in other words, you may be a, a security forces guy, but you may be able to assist when refueling a, an aircraft or or reloading that aircraft with munitions. Uh, you know, you're not an expert, but you can assist them as well as with uh, they could. Maintenance guys could, could help assist uh, with uh, security if needed, and and we would send those out from the hub, right? They would go out to the to the different points, and those would be the war fighters, the fighters on the ground. But in the hub, we would we would have uh, the private sector, maybe with other countries that would help uh, sustain that that supply uh, of whether it be fuel, equipment, uh, parts, uh, and so we would they would bounce back to the hub. To take care of the aircraft, to reload, to refresh, and to go back out. We would never put a, a private, a commercial employee, or any, anybody in in arms' way. I mean, that's our job. We don't want them to do to fight our fight for us. However, we will. We in the future, I think we need them as close as we can uh, to be able to help us, uh, whether it be the 75 percent or the 80 percent area. But we need them there close, and to do that, we do have to continue to build the partnerships with the private sector and our allies. And I think we are making good strides to do that.
0: You're listening to Lessons in Leadership, Acquisition and Supply Chain, a professional development seminar featuring retired Major General Cedric George, Kevin Bostick, Michael Johnston, and Brigadier General Russell Ponder. Brought to you by the Global Catalyst for Change, the Baya STEM Global Competitiveness Conference, where we make the untapped potential possible. Be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Hey,
5: uh, I think uh, I make two points about that. I think you, you you hit on something that's that's really important. I think we. Uh, we have this a philosophy in the Coast Guard that recently that the that the intel guys started, and it was intel drives operations. Now I don't know if that was just to get money, but but they are absolutely correct. Uh, it is the next war is all about intelligence. It's all about information, and uh, and I'll give you a great example of how we partner with commercial, and then I'll talk about other countries. But but. Uh, the, the, the rate of change for unmanned systems is, is so fast. The, 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 the uh, sensors that are coming out are changing every three weeks. And so what we decided to do from an acquisition perspective was, say, hey, we're going to do contractor-owned, contractor-operated, unmanned aerial vehicles. We put them on our national security cutters. And if one drops in the water, that's cost of doing business for them. But that has transformed transformed how we get intelligence. They can get up there and see so far, and no one knows they're there, and we find they're just the right time to go on board and attack. That is an incredible, incredible asset. The other thing is we have an incredible Navy in the United States. Uh, There is no other Navy on par with us. Uh, And most countries say they have a Navy, but I will tell you that what they have is a Coast Guard. And so what we do is we go out we do foreign military sales, we sell them boats, we sell them, and we teach them how to train that. And so we build up their navies and they can call them what they want, but that's what they're doing. They're guarding their coasts because the rest of the ocean is ours. I shouldn't say that. On, don't don't record that, don't record that, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I think
0: fantastic.
2: And I think what
5: you
2: point out is most of us don't appreciate what our Coast Guard does for the nation. And we also don't appreciate the baby we have, I see a, a bunch of Jay, Junior uh, folks, uh, it's, it's fantastic. We we are a fantastic total folks. And uh, working with the interagency and Homeland Security, uh, we have much to be proud of. Uh, your thoughts about allies and what's happening, and, and, and is that a part of the transformation before we open up for our first questions from the audience? Uh,
3: yes, I would say uh, from the uh, Army perspective, uh, and they a lot of what I will say it dovetails with what the other two gentlemen already uh, talked about. Uh, we are definitely in the FMS foreign military sales space daily. Uh, at the uh, AMC, Army Material Command, we have uh, one of our subordinate two-star commands, USASAC, United States Army Security Assistance Command, and they do for us and for the Army, you know, all the foreign military sales to all our partner nations. It helps, as we call it, building partner capacity, uh, making sure that our allies on the battlefield are able to fight side by side and communicate with us as need be. Uh, Because I think in a lot of, you know, instances, yes, we go in when we get told to do so, and fought our nation's wars, but what we are not doing or don't want to be doing uh, unless directed to do is, uh, quote unquote, we're not taking over that country uh, that we're fighting in and alongside of. We're there as an ally, we're there to, you know, keep America's interests, you know, where we want them, and then at some point, as we know, our, we have to have an exit strategy so we can pull out and let the nation continue to move forward and help take care of themselves with our oversight, teaching, coaching, mentoring on how to do business, uh, et cetera. The interoperability is great, uh, and we have to have systems. I would, uh, as an example, uh, I'll just use we, the industrial base. That AMC has as far as for the Army. Uh, down in Aniston, we do work on tanks, you know, Bradley's striker vehicles, et cetera. You know, one of the F4 military sales cases that we did was we sold to the Moroccan government some M1 tanks. You know, not the state of the art thing that's just coming off the assembly line, but some that we were taking out of the inventory, but it was a thousand times better than what they had and so part of that package that we sold them when we gave sold them and made the case as we call it the former military sales case a maintenance package that went along that, with that was we would reset repair and upgrade the m1 engines in that vehicle at a certain point you know after so many years of them having them in their footprint to the tune of a case of and i just thought a number 50 million dollars of maintenance that we sold them along with the actual vehicles themselves so what that did was that built that partner capacity it gave them the the faith and knowledge that hey we're not just going to give you something and then wash our hands of what we're doing we'll stand side by side with you as a partner nation and make sure that not only do you have the equipment but it can be maintained appropriately. When it needs to be depot overhaul, we'll do that for you since you don't have that capability. And then when we get it back to you, you know, you have almost the same state-of-the-art equipment that our soldiers are using on the ground, which means side by side, moving forward into the battle space, you know, you're not fighting with, you know, three-year-old, three-generation back equipment, and we
2: got the newest, brightest stuff in the battlefield. That's a fantastic question. That's like a Honda guarantee, right? That's like a solar guarantee. <laughs> it's outstanding. So let me let me hear from the audience. What questions do you have? And then we'll, we're going to transition into leadership. Um, but please, yes. Good morning.
0: Good morning. Thank you for your service. I'm uh, Dr. Janice Farrar Samani from Silicon Valley. So it was wonderful to hear that you're connecting with the uh, defense innovation base. So that's actually my question. I'm the CEO. And the chief director of uh, information technology for NextGen, and I'm interested in how can we? We're not the Amazon uh, or the Intel. So how can we, as a SME, actually connect with potentially some of these projects?
4: Yeah. Well, I know that you can uh, definitely contact the uh, the Dia. The DIA. Uh, There's some individuals that that are out there that that's what they do. And and their main objective is to seek uh, not so much the big companies, but the small ones too, to help them, uh, you know, pull in information. And there's some other innovation uh, uh, agencies out there. I know the Air National Guard has one itself that's that's in uh, uh, Tucson, uh, Arizona, and they just stood up, and they're doing some great things. So there's a lot of capability. Uh, I mean, I'll be happy to give you my information, then after, then maybe I can send you some contacts or somewhere to get some contacts. Uh, but I, I just know that they're they're looking for that type of capability just to help us.
5: Yeah, yeah, we're actually uh, just kicked off a whole five bodies and we're joining the DIUX uh, D, D, uh, uh, team as well, just to put our, uh, and, in, and we're getting congressional authorities to use these other transactional authorities so that we can go out and, and pose the questions and really, have a faster turnaround with uh, with industry. We also do industry days and reverse industry days on a regular basis uh, at the Coast Guard and then we post sort of all our challenges and our upcoming contracts uh, in uh, APMFS. Uh, I'll, I'll give you my card, but we post all this stuff. Here's what's coming up over the next two years and uh, we've been tracking. Uh, so. Everybody's supposed to do it, you know, but but making them do it is a different issue. But we've been, we've been uh, getting our numbers up and people are really putting out there, here's the challenges, here's the contracts that are coming up. So that at least you're aware and then you can uh, uh, plan. And, and then we have, uh, we're setting up a Twitter's account so that um, you can text, hey, hey, what's going on with this one? And, and uh, we're, we're, we're dealing with our small business guy. He's building up that capability. Excellent. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about leadership,
2: uh, which is, a wonderful topic we could do all morning on this. Uh, to the panel, you know, everybody in the room has heard about a leader that has a D-Rain, and we don't talk about it. So one of the things I wanna ask you is, what do you do to safeguard your legacy, your leadership, so that you can continue to lead at the highest levels of our nation, right? Open up to that question about leadership, because...
3: What I would say is, I'm wearing this uniform now, but I wore the Army uniform for 26 years. Uh, and been doing this one now for six. So as I was talking to the gentleman out front, I've pretty much uh, been in the military my whole life. My father spent 32 years in, so uh, that's all I know. Two major things, one, was able to communicate with him and watch how he did business to ensure that he didn't put himself in a situation that may be causing him to derail or a perceived situation because a lot of times, you know, we in our world, perception is reality. Uh, and so uh, you know you I would say Never putting yourself in a bad situation. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's things that, and I'll just, some of them are real simple. Not a, a, is nothing against uh, female persuasion, but I never have a conversation in my office with a female with the door closed. Uh, And that's just something I learned 30 years ago we can have the door open we can have a third person in there whatever and that's just to protect myself and to protect her so it's a two-way street uh, because we all know that there's things that happen real or perceived if i say something that you perceive to be a certain way i may have meant something different but your perception is your reality and now we have a a situation that we have to either get back in the box or it could derail me as Jim George talked about. The second thing is, I've always used leadership by walking around, so I go, I walk the floor, I did it when I was in uniform, I do it now, and sometimes we as seniors don't make the time to go walk the floor, say good morning to the workforce, Hey, how was your weekend? What did you do? And that's not being nosy, it's not prying, it's just letting them know that hey, I'm human too. We all know who the boss is. We all know who our senior leaders are. But at the end of the day, I watch a football game on the weekend just like you do. I go to a basketball game just like you do. Uh, So when that human factor that gets integrated into the workforce when there's not a separation like hey I'm here and you're there and never the two shall meet Uh, you know I I alleviate that problem uh, because I'm out on the floor sometimes my people in the front office come get me hey we have a meeting right now because you know I talk to my folks and I try to get to different sections right now I have 200 people in my direct in my director of course it takes a it take me all week to be around and see all 200 of them but at any given day, hour here, hour there, et cetera, I go, hey, how you doing? How's the family? You know, how how's your weekend? You know, is everything going okay? And 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 they know, they may not really say anything, no, I need your help with it. It's not that. It's just the fact that, hey, the boss genuinely cares about my health and well-being. He's not just looking at me to get that daily grind in or whatever. And then doing that, you know, allows, if there is a problem or some perceptions, there have been people who have come to me personally and say, hey, you know, this is what I heard somebody say, reference you. Here's something that, you know, maybe, you know, a thought process you might wanna watch because some people don't mean you any good. You know, that kind of thing because they're jealous of the position you're in or the rapport you have with the workforce or whatever the case is and I take that and I, you know, what they say tuck it away and I take heed. you know, so it's a, it's a couple of different things and techniques that I learned along the way uh, from my dad and, and, and from other leaders that I was around and I use it to this day.
4: So uh, a couple things. First of all, I was the uh, director of the General Officer Management Office for the uh, for the National Guard, which we dealt with about 400 uh, general officers for three years. And and I guess what I learned from that is, you know, first of all, just don't do stupid stuff, right? I mean, because there are some people out there to do some stupid stuff, right? Uh, I think part of that is because uh, uh, they don't remember their rank and they don't remember that they've moved up and what they could do as a as a captain or major. Uh, which is, you know, they can't do as a, as a general officer or they just it didn't, the perception is not right. So what I, what I try to do is I try to surround myself with uh, my own staff and I demand from them to tell me, you know, what is perception? You know, am I, what am I, am I doing something wrong? Because what I think I'm doing right uh, and it's okay may not be what the perception is. So I, I demand that, uh, that information from them and I, and I heed to that. Because sometimes I just don't see it. And the last thing uh, before I move on is ensure that the process uh, of whatever it is takes place. You know, we have a lot of individuals, you know, I have about 250 on my staff, and I walk around too, and there's sometimes there's there's conflict, there's people that don't come in on time, they they're accusing somebody of something else. And before you and, and you can some of it's just blatant, It's not true. But before you just say that you've got to let the process go through you've got to you've got to let it be you know somebody look into it somebody bring you the facts and, and before any just don't jump to conclusions and, and once you let the process work its way out and sometimes the process is a long time but once you let that process works out in the end at least everybody knows they got it, they were looked at uh you know properly and equally and uh so that makes a big difference so
2: Johnson comes in just to put up why we're talking about this. My uh, last year in the Air Force, we saw two two stars relieved of duty. Uh, we saw an, an SES relieved of duty, a senior executive like Mr. Boss, not Mr. Bosco, <laughs> everything you heard. So, what I would offer to you as leaders, as servant leaders, we understand that you, to the points that have been made, you need to be humble, credible, approachable. Uh, and humble means of remembering where you came from and not getting ahead of the headlights uh, because I appreciate that. Perception is reality. And so I always tell leaders that I have a privilege to mentor, how horrible it would be if when we need you most, you literally derail. How much people have invested in you to be ready for this time, and you do it. And so, and by the way, it doesn't mean just because you arrive to the points that have been made at General Officer NCS that you somehow arrive, that you're I don't think so. And so that's why we're talking about this. Admiral Johnson, come in with your thoughts. Come on in.
5: Here. Absolutely. You uh, thank you. Uh, I think uh, I'll just offer this that uh, the foundation of the Coast Guard is its core values. Um, and that is a requirement for employment, and the Commandant makes that clear every week. Uh, when we have all flags and he pulls in every single flag and SES in the organization to a conference call. Uh, so core values is what drives us. The the whole purpose of the military is to build ethical leaders. That is our mantra. You got to have a technical skill, you got to have an air expertise, but the bottom line is ethical leadership is how we get things done. And so uh, for us it is on the radar screen every single day in your face and and Here's where the lines are. Step back 20 paces, sort of thing. Um, and I will say the other thing in acquisitions, in particular, uh, which is an area that uh, draws a lot of money and a lot of other things, it's a team sport. And so no one is in there doing anything alone. Uh, acquisitions is an entire organization uh, priority, and so we're no one's working in a bubble. We're all talking about what's going on. We're all on the same page, and we check our we check each other. We're all assigned peers and mentors that. Give us feedback. Hey, here's what we think. Here's what this looks like, and we we uh, we are taught to to take that in and grow from it. Feedback is a gift. That is the mantra that we talk about.
2: Good morning, gentlemen. Um, my name is Zion Armstrong, midshipman at the United States Naval Academy. Uh, my question is about leadership. Um, what are your greatest leadership weaknesses, and what steps have you taken to improve that weakness while leading at such a high level?
4: I'll start with that one, if you don't mind, sir. Uh, I think, uh, and I've, I guess I've realized this over the last uh, five years, is that probably uh, uh, balance with uh, with my personal life, uh, with uh, education and continuing development for myself, uh, with work, uh, with physical fitness, uh, with just being healthy and, and spiritual, right? I think, uh, you know, There's there's... As you go through uh, you through life, you know, some things need more, more demand than others, and you can do that, you can, you can focus more on education if, if you're in college and that's your main thing and you've gotta get through and you, you wanna do a great job. So you let the others, you know, kinda lack a little bit, I shouldn't say lack, but their priority goes down just a little bit, nothing bad, it just does. But being able to understand when you have to adjust those, uh, and it's not just for you, it's for your family, as for your friends, uh, and that has been in my early years. You know, I, I I felt like work was where I really needed to put my energy uh, to help me, uh, you know, further my career. Um, now that I'm, I'm I'm where I am, I do a lot better job of balancing, spending more time with my my uh, my children. Or my you know, they're they're 25. My boys and and my wife and, and and the dog and and kind of spending time for me too. I have a my shop and I spent a lot of time and it's just me you know because I had a lot of times I didn't do that so I think that's important uh, and I think uh, I look back and I see the ones that really have done well and I think they've I've looked and examined what I thought they did well with and it was it came down to being balanced so that's my.
5: Uh, I would say this that uh, as I was growing up I would think I was successful because I was a guy that got things done right so hey you think as you get mature, I mean, leadership is a spectrum, right? As you get more mature, that can be a weakness if you're the person who always has to get things done. Uh, learning and, uh, and mastering the art of delegation and, and, uh, and sharing responsibility and growing the team, even if you can do it faster maybe in your head, uh, growing the team and elevating everybody up on their leadership and their technical skills, uh, even if it takes a little more time, is worth it and that is a skill that i have uh, been working on and trying to master um because i would tell you as you, you know as you go off from ensign to commander it's about getting it done but after that that's not what it's about it's about getting other people to raise up and so something to think about
3: i would say one of the things i learned early on in my career was that the same thing that was my best trait was probably my worst trait. And I got told this by one of my, when I was a company commander level, my executive officer the, the, on the staff told me one day, she said, Hey, you protect your people inside your formation as you should, no matter what, hands down. By the same token, you know, we all have those individuals in our formations that are the outlier i would go to the mat and protect that individual even if they're dead wrong <laughs> even if i know that they're wrong just because i'm that i'm like mother hen or father hen she said hey those are my kids okay so i'll beat them when they do something wrong you let me know they're wrong i got it, and i'll take care of it. so them knowing that I had their back no matter what; they would run through a brick wall for me. But at some point, you know, it becomes a now it's being a detriment to the organization and the detriment to the rest of the formation because they see that Bostic hadn't done everything he's supposed to do, but he's still being taken care of by the boss. So at some point, you have to cut that sling load and and cut him loose. And it's not because of what you did or didn't do. They're the ones who put themselves in that situation. So now it, you, you 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 treat them with dignity and respect no matter what, but at a certain point, when it's out of your hands, you have to know when it's out of your hands.
2: There's just such great news. I mean, this year. By the way, I have uh that's a that's a powerful question. And what I would tell you and your question is you already understand we learn more from your um from our weaknesses perceived weaknesses and the ability to be honest about it than we do with all the hero stories next you said hey come in here tell me one of your hero stories we'd we'd, we'd be here all night because we can rattle those all off But what you did initially and i love this question that you asked as a pullback our shield so let me do this real quick it is similar what you heard mine is learning to say no and not now and so you go, come on. There are a lot of good things. And you probably already have this, and you already have this, right? But you've got to say no to things that are just good. you know. And it's across the spectrum. But I would tell you, to the points that have been made so well, but as you continue to get more senior in your scale and scope of responsibility, if you don't understand how to say no and not now, and empower the people, which is the greatest gift a leader can give, to do that, you will fail. It must be perfect clear. You will fail, and the larger, your responsibility, you will fail big time. So the ability to say no, not, no and not now is something
3: that has learned. Can you come up? Could
6: you please come up uh, afterwards, and I'll give this to you. Very good question. Very Thank you, very gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. But, sir, come on up. Good morning. Uh, my name is Jonathan Berhane I am uh, with uh, NAMC. I'm a manager for uh, Ramsey Reliability, Maintainability, and Analysis. Um, so one of the things I want to say to academia is, if there are any members of academia here, we need a lot of uh, math and statistics uh, majors. So please uh, push on that. Um, here, here, all of us. <laughs> so sustainment for for the Navy, uh, at least for the surface, is it's designed in. Uh, so early on during a, a design phase is when we uh, get it incorporated. So. Um, In addition to that, though, when there are mission-specific forward sparing needed, separate and different than the the normal sparing, we have to do it, the uh, organic uh, government employees. So a lot of you spoke about the partnership with industry, uh, very tight-knit. But I think we need to develop the organic government capability in doing modeling and simulation for sustainment yeah
4: I'll say this that I know that at uh, Robbins uh, uh, down at um, Atlanta the depot down there that the community college and the college they have is they've developed a partnership uh, with them to, to send people there to get them educated and to bring them back as civilian employees and hopefully uh, move into the reserve and and um, of the Guard as well. But to have that that partnership that they are growing for organic, because we do, that is a very important uh, issue that we
2: have, so. Okay, great. So with that, can I ask you to join me in giving this panel a, a round of applause?
0: Thank you for listening to Lessons in Leadership, Acquisition and Supply Chain a professional development seminar. Featuring CEO of George Consulting Group, retired Major General, Cedric George, Director of Operations and Readiness, G3, for U.S. Army Materiel Command, Kevin Bostick, Assistant Commandant for Acquisition and Chief Acquisition Officer for the U.S. Coast Guard, Michael Johnston and Director of Logistics and Installations for the U.S. National Guard Bureau, Brigadier General Russell Ponder. If you have enjoyed this presentation, be sure to attend the BEA STEM Global Competitiveness Conference. For more information on how you, your company, or organization can take part, visit www.baya.org. For college students, contact us at 410 244